0: This morning, we're going to be looking at the idea of value, the idea of, of worth. What is something worth? How do you value things? I like looking at the, the Antiques Roadshow, it's always fun to watch and to see people bring things in and ask, how much is that worth? How, how much uh, is this paper plate that my parents had for 5,000 know, 5, years, how much is it worth? And they get all excited about these things, and you wonder, what would they get for it? Or now, in the boredom of an evening, you may watch some of these other shows about pawn stores and these guys who go and look around and find junk. And I was watching the other day on one of them, and a guy had a bat from Shoeless Joe Jackson. And it was this bat that was valued at about $1,000, supposedly. And the guy behind the counter said, I'll give you 300 for it. Now, it had a value of $1,000, but it was only worth 300 to this guy. And so they bartered for a few minutes and he got 350 for it. You see, every moment of every day we're in a value worth discussion. What is this value is this valuable to me? Is this of worth to me? Is it worthwhile for me to invest my time, my energy, my emotions? Uh, is it worthwhile for me to do these things? Really every decision that you're making is a value decision. You made that decision this morning, didn't you? Is it valuable to come to church? Well, for those of you who are here, it was. It's valuable to get up and to go through, I'm sure, families, the stress of getting little ones ready uh, to come and to be here this morning. It was valuable to you, and so you made that decision to come and to be here. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture in John chapter 12 that's about a value decision. John chapter 12 comes right on the heels of John chapter 11. And you know from your studies that in John chapter 11, that's where Lazarus was raised from the dead. Now, Lazarus was a friend of Jesus uh, that he had died. And Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, had come to Jesus. And they said, our brother is sick. Uh, And Jesus said, I I, I love you. And I'm going to wait. And Lazarus died. We talked about this uh, a few weeks back. And said that Jesus sometimes loves us through suffering that he loved Mary and Martha so much that he let Lazarus die because there was a greater purpose in Lazarus' death. There was something more that he wanted to teach Mary and Martha and all those around that he couldn't teach them through saving his life. He said, I'm going to teach you something far more powerful, but he has to die first. You have to suffer some first. And so Jesus went and Lazarus was dead. You know the story, or some of you do. And he went to the tomb and he had been questioned, why weren't you here, Jesus? Why didn't you come and do this? And then Jesus spoke to the tomb. He spoke to Lazarus. He said, Lazarus, get up, come out. And Lazarus came out. And you can imagine the astonishment of Mary and Martha and all of those who were around for they really saw who Jesus was. They saw his power, more power than just a healer. The power to overcome our last and final enemy, death itself. I've been reading a book about philosophy. uh, And in it, it talks about at the heart of all philosophy is this, trying to explain death. Trying to explain away why we live, why we die. That's what we're trying to explain away when we talk about philosophy. And religion does a similar thing. And so here, the thing that concerns people more than anything else, the one topic, death, Jesus has said, I've overcome death by the simple statement of speaking it with my mouth. Now, you can imagine that Martha and Mary were rather happy. They were ecstatic, and they would have wanted to do something for Jesus. But it says there at the end of chapter 11 that the religious leaders of the day now wanted to kill him. He was more of a threat than ever, and they wanted to get rid of him. And so so Jesus pulled himself away back into the wilderness into an area called Ephraim, and he stayed there. Now chapter 12, it's time of the Passover. And Jesus is moving back towards Jerusalem, but his first stop is in Bethany to be with Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And there we're going to pick up this idea of value and of worth. Hear now God's word from John chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead, And so they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, "'Why was the ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor?' He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge over the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. The poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. And when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus whom he had raised from the dead. And so the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. This is God's word. May he add his blessing to the reading and to the hearing of it. Let's pray. God, we come and we thank you for your great blessing to us in Christ and preserving your word that we can hear today. Open our minds and our hearts. Minister to us by your spirit. In Christ's name, amen. John Piper wrote this about this passage. It's a beautiful thing when the worth of Jesus and the love of his followers match, when the value of his perfections and the intensity of our affections correspond. What Piper is picking up on, and the reality of this passage is this Jesus had just done an amazing act on behalf of himself ultimately, but for Mary and Martha because he loved them and he raised Lazarus from the dead. If someone does something wonderful for you, what's your normal response to them? Thank you. How can I respond? You send a thank you note. You go and say thank you. If they do something very significant for you, you may do something like throw them a dinner party. Say, we want to honor you. So today, we're going to step into this dinner party given on account of Jesus. You see, it says there in this verse, and they gave him a dinner. Basically, they were giving this for Jesus. For what? To say, Jesus, thank you for raising our brother from the dead, because there wasn't time after he raised him from the dead before to do that, because Jesus had to pull away out into the wilderness. They didn't have time to properly thank him in the custom of the day, and that would have been a celebration, a feast. You see, a meal is a significant thing, isn't it? You don't just invite anybody over to your house, but to sit down at a table and to break bread together, And to have a meal together. There's an intimacy that's involved in that. There's something special about that. And that's what's going on here. What I'm going to do today is a little less uh, of an outline of going point one, point two, point three. And more of let's walk through this together. See if you can engage your thoughts, your mind into the scene that's happening here. and, And put yourself there and start to relate with the characters. If you go to see a play, if you watch a movie, you start to relate to the characters. You put yourself into them. You gain emotional value from them. You see what's going on. That's what we're doing here. Now, you remember back in these days, there were no DVDs. There was no cable TV. There were no movie theaters. There wasn't YouTube. There wasn't all the stuff that we have. This was it. They would have read John's gospel, and they would have seen it in their mind's eye. They would have pictured what was going on at that meal. They would have picked up on all of the parts of it. John writes it beautifully. You see, in that day, like I said, there weren't theaters per se. Well, if there were someone who was of wealth, and many people consider that Martha and Mary and Lazarus were people of wealth, they would have come when they had a meal and spectators would have come. The meal wouldn't have been in a closed-in dining room like we would have the meal would have most likely been out in the open air courtyard. And in that courtyard, all the men would have been sitting around and the women would have been around. And then people from the village of Bethany probably would have come in and they would have been standing around on the walls watching the wealthy folks eat. And guess who these wealthy folks had at their table? None other than Jesus himself. Now you can imagine the crowd that would have arrived then. This wasn't any dignitary. This wasn't any rabbi. This was the rabbi. This was the new guy who'd been preaching now for three years, he had raised Lazarus from the dead. He was there at this meal. And people would have been around. And they were watching what was going on. And so here they were inclined at the table. Jesus leaning back on his left arm, most likely with his feet away from the table. Lazarus probably would have been in a position of honor there that he was leaning against Jesus with his head against his chest and his feet reclining and so on and so forth around the table. And then everybody was there eating and talking together. Now, right in the middle of this meal, Mary comes from somewhere in that arena. She was probably there in the courtyard. And so she walks up to Jesus and she breaks out this bottle of nard. Anybody have any nard? Never smelled it, never seen it, but... In the ancient Middle East, and even currently today, it's a very expensive perfume. Used not only as just a beautiful ornamental perfume, but also used in the burial rites of those that you loved. It was incredibly valuable that a pound of it that she had here would have been worth about a year's wages. They said it would have been about 300 denarii, which was about a minimum wage. One day's wage was a one dinari. And Mary comes to Jesus... And she's presenting this to him. She is saying, Jesus, you are of such worth and value to me that I'm going to give you the thing that is probably the most expensive thing that I have, and I'm going to pour it out of I'm going to give it to you. It's extravagant. It's over the top. I've tried to consider and figure out in my house what I have that's worth a year's wages. You know what I've determined I have? Nothing. There is nothing in my house that valuable. I got a couple of nice things but not like that. One think about it, one year's wages. Whatever it is that you make, one year's wage. And she carries it out as if without second thought. She looks at Jesus and says, "Here." And in the other gospels, in Mark and in Matthew, it says that she broke the neck of the vial And she poured it on his head, and here John says she poured it on his feet. Basically, she anointed his body, as is the Jewish custom. It would be very odd if we had dinner together and someone walked up to me and said, Bill, we're glad you're in our house, and poured oil over my head. But in their custom, it was that it was of honor. It was anointing him with that. And think about in the Psalms, oh, how good and oh, how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil coming down the head and down the beard of Aaron, even Aaron's beard. It was that beautiful picture of God's presence, of being there together. And Mary comes and she anoints Jesus with this incredibly expensive perfume. Why did she do it? Why would she have done that? What just happened earlier? Jesus raised her brother from the dead, and she hadn't had opportunity to properly thank him. And she wanted to come into his presence and say, "Uh, here, here's how much I value you. Here's how much I see your worth. I'm giving you the thing that is the most expensive thing in my home. It's of incredible value, and I'm pouring it out freely on you. She didn't just pop the cork and give a little on the top. She didn't just say, Jesus, this is about a year's salary, and I'm venturing to guess that you're worth that much. She broke it so that the top couldn't be put back on, and she poured it out over him freely. She said, Jesus, you are of more value than anything I possibly have, but this is the best thing that I can give to show you that you mean something to me. And then she went even further than that. What did she do? She poured it on his feet, and then she got down, and she wiped his feet. Not with a rag, but she wiped his feet with what? Her hair. For a woman, a symbol of beauty. The thing she would have kept most clean, quite honestly, in that culture would have been her hair. When I'm around women who have had cancer, breast cancer, and they've had treatments... Men, we lose our hair, we're not that big a deal. Women, when they lose their hair, it's a big deal. It's something about who they are, their beauty, uh, their worth and their value somehow in the middle of that. I was just talking to somebody recently, and their little girl gave her hair to locks of love. Why? Because she knew that some other child, somebody somewhere, would want to have that symbol of beauty or of value. And Mary kneels down and wipes Jesus' feet with her hair. Not only did she say, you are of such value to me, Jesus, that I'm giving you this expensive oil, this expensive perfume. You're of such value to me that I am going to physically humble myself and look like a fool in front of everybody else. And I'm going to wipe your feet with my symbol of status, my symbol. I am, I'm demoting myself so that you can be raised up. I'm willing to be put to public scorn. Can you imagine what the people standing around on the walls would have said? What's she doing Has Mary lost her mind? We knew she was impulsive and she was the one who was always sort of, you know, fire ready aim and going and doing that. But what's she doing? Mary wouldn't have even listened. Now again, think what she's doing. What's she wiping with her hair? His feet. We were joking at dinner last night. I don't like feet. I'm not a big fan, especially of the bottoms of your feet. So if in your culture, in Hilton Head, it's some kind of nice thing to show me the bottoms of your feet, I will be culturally insensitive and say, keep them to yourself. (laughs) I don't like touching feet. I don't like feet on me, near me, anything like that. It's just me. Jesus, think about his feet for a moment. An ancient Near Eastern male, Who walked everywhere that he needed to go in leather sandals? What a combination male feet, leather, sweat, and dirt. And Mary came to him and she knelt and she wiped his feet. I can't think of anything more nasty to do. And, guys, I'm not making light of this. She would have been, and it would have been repulsive in their their culture to do this. Even a slave wouldn't have changed. It it, it had to be a foreigner who would have changed shoes. That's why when Jesus did this to the disciples, just a chapter or two later, a day or two later, it amazed them. They're like, don't touch my feet. No, Lord, this isn't for you to do. And Mary said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to love you enough to touch them and humble myself and show you how valuable you are to me. Here's the question for us. How valuable is Jesus to you? Of what worth is Jesus in your life? Is he of so much value in your life? Do you see him for as great and tremendous as he is? Is he so grand in your life that he's done so much for you that you are willing to give him all of who you are and to suffer public humility and shame on his behalf and consider it as if you've done nothing? I don't think Mary was really making a value decision here. I don't think she had to think a lot on it. I think she looked and said, Jesus worth everything, whatever I've got, I'm taken to him. Jesus has done everything on my behalf. He saved my brother. He raised him from the dead. He's promised to be my Lord, my resurrection, my life. Therefore, I can give him everything. I can do it for him and not consider it as loss at all. That's what Jesus is trying to convey here. That's what John is trying to teach us. He's trying to ask you and me this question. Is Jesus of supreme value in your life? Do you see him as incredibly worthy of your life? Because if you do, then you'll live positively and boldly for Him, extravagantly for Him. I'm not talking about tithe and offering, folks. I'm talking about your life of saying, you know what? I see Jesus as so large and so great that I'm willing then to look at the book that he gave me and say, God, you've given me a life in Christ. You've forgiven me of my sins. You've promised me heaven. You've promised me eternal life with you. You've promised me that I am more than a conqueror, that I am now a son or a daughter of the king. I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. My name's been written in your book by indelible marked ink that I am safe, that no one can hurt me. Nothing can come my way that doesn't come from you. Therefore, I'll do what you say in this book. I'll respond to it. I'll look at the Ten Commandments not as a bunch of no's, but as a bunch of, here's how I can respond to my beautiful beautiful God, my incredible Savior. I'll have no other gods before you. I'll not take your name lightly or in vain. I'll honor one day out of seven for your Sabbath rest. I'll make no idols. I'll honor my father and my mother. I won't commit murder, I won't commit adultery, I won't covet, I won't steal, I won't lie. I won't do that, not to gain your favor, but because I just saw all of your favor poured out on me. What is it for me to face a little public shame because I don't go out and party and hang out with everybody else? I don't have premarital sex, I don't cheat on my wife, I don't cheat on my husband, I don't cheat on my taxes. I, 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 abide, I abide by the laws of the state. I love others, I forgive when they don't deserve forgiveness. I, I live with humility versus pride. I, I live in such a way that Jesus Christ is seen through me me. What is that in comparison to what I've been given from him? Mary would have looked at us today with some of the questions we've asked and go, you must not know my Jesus. I'm just starting this ministry here, so I'm going to help you guys out a little bit, okay? I'm going to preempt some questions, all right? When it's time for us to make commitments to the church. And we say, now we're going to commit part of our wealth to the church, called a tithe. The tithe is 10%. That's what the Lord says. Here's the question that I often get. Bill, do I tithe off of net or off of gross? Let me help you. Wrong question. If you see Jesus for who he is, your reasonable response is this. Do I get to keep any back for me? Because he seems to be worth my entire paycheck. Everything that I possibly have, all of my wealth, he seems to be worthy of it all. Does, is there anything in the scripture that says I get some of it? And I get to say to you, yeah, you get 90% of it back. Wow, that's awesome. I get Jesus plus 90% of what I make in this world? Yep, you sure do. Here's another question you don't need to ask me about. Bill, things are a little rough in my marriage. Do I have the freedom to leave? If it's not for abuse and you don't need to leave for your safety, ladies, the answer would be wrong question. If Jesus is of immeasurable value, then you can put all of your resources into this marriage and you can figure out how to make it work. You can throw everything you have at it. You can forgive the person who's unforgivable. You can love the person who seems unlovable. You can do those things. I talk with students and I have my own sons who are students and going off to college and doing all of that. They're saying, so basically, Reverend McCutcheon, you're telling me that I can't go out and party and I can't go and do all the stuff that everybody else is doing. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah. But you won't get it until you see that Jesus is more valuable than all of that. So you're drunk for a few hours. You're high for a little bit of time. You have sex with somebody for a little bit. But do you see what you get in Jesus? You have to make a value decision in those things. That's what this passage is saying. How valuable is Jesus to you? So that's my question today. How valuable is is he to you? Is he of supreme value? Does he eclipse everything else for you? I hope for our church that we highlight the beauty and the magnificence of Christ to such a degree that this church's reputation on this island and in this area is this. This is a church that is willing to do whatever it takes for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Guess what you're doing today that I think is wonderful. You're opening your doors, we're opening our doors to people who are less fortunate that they can come and stay in our church. They can sleep here, they can eat here, they can they can be safe here. Do you know how many churches wouldn't do that because someone might mess up the carpet? or mess up a chair, or steal something, but it's saying, you know what? It's for the sake of Christ. It's okay. It's for him that we do these things. Now, here's one subtle warning in the middle of this. You're going to catch flack if you do it, okay? If you start living for Jesus and living as if he's of supreme value in your life, you are going to have naysayers in your life. Any of you ever experienced that? You start living for Christ and you're going, I'm going to live for Christ. I'm going to walk with Christ. I'm going to do these things. And guess what? You hear from people who look at you and go, um, You might want to tone it down a little bit. You're getting a little zealous over there. I understand the whole going to church on Sunday morning thing and saying your prayers and, and doing your blessing thing, but you're getting a little beyond. Now, the sad thing is, it's reasonable for that to come from the world around us, the pagan world. Do you know, want to know where most of those naysayers are? They're sitting in these chairs. Guess where the naysayer was at this dinner? He was one of Jesus' own disciples who didn't see the value and the worth of who he had been with for three years. He sold Jesus for 33 pieces of silver. That's how much he valued Jesus. He could have cared less. He didn't see him and he was right in front of him. And here he says to Mary woman, what are you doing? You could have sold this stuff for 300 pounds, 300 denarii, and we could have helped a lot of poor people. There will be naysayers to you. Be ready for that. And they're going to tell you, Jesus isn't worth that. They're going to tell you, give him some, but don't go all the way on this. Live a little bit for him, but don't be sold out for him. Because what they're saying is this, they bought into a lie in our culture. And the lie in the culture that says that this life, it's all there is. So live it fully. Eat, drink, and be merry. For guess what happens tomorrow? We die. So you better gain everything you can out of this life. You better suck out the very marrow of this life. Because we're not convinced that there's anything more than this. Christian, you have a different response. This life, it's not all there is. Because there's a life to come that ends in eternity with Christ that I get to enjoy his pleasure forever. You see, Jesus understood it. He looked at Judas and he basically said this, Judas, shut your mouth. Don't you dare steal her joy. You let her enjoy my presence for I'm not gonna be with you always. You'll have the poor to take care of. They'll always be here and you should be concerned about them, but you will not always have me in your presence, so let her enjoy me. And what he was really wanting to say was, I wish you would enjoy me, Judas. I wish you would enjoy me. I wish you would know me because what you think is life is going to lead to your death. What you are investing in is going to bankrupt your soul. She's investing in something that will never be bankrupt, and the dividend to her will be eternal life. So here's how we'll end with this little story this drama that was acting out. How valuable is Jesus to you? How large is your God? I encourage you, go out and buy this little book. Get on Amazon and find it. It's by J.B. Phillips. And it's this, Your God is Too Small. Anybody read that? A few of you. Your God is Too Small. What I think the problem is in most of our lives and in the church today is just that. Our view of our God and our view of our Savior is too small. Because if we see him for all the beauty that he is, the power over death, the power over life, Christ himself, we'd say, it's worth it all. Let's pray. Father, we are amazed on so many levels. We want to be like Mary, but we're afraid. We hear those voices calling us back. And we're amazed with our heart that we don't see it and get it. And Lord, we pray that you'd break, break through that. And God, we're also amazed when we see the magnificence of who you are, that you are greater than life itself. That like the Apostle Paul said, he saw you as of such supreme value that he considered nothing else as loss. They were just suffering. It was just pain. It was just wealth. It was nothing in comparison to the surpassing value of knowing Christ. Would we see the surpassing value of knowing you today? God, there are some here today I know who are wrestling with this reality. They have a foot in both worlds. They want to see you. They they want to follow you, but yet they are so tied to the things of this world that they are pulled in that tug of war. I pray today that you would break by the power of your spirits the bondage that's in their life and they'd be free to run after you. And they would see in this moment a beautiful picture of a father running towards them. And they would know that embrace, that embrace of a father who kisses his child and clothes his nakedness and brings him back into the beauty and the bounty of being home. For those who are here who are like that today, God, free them by the power of your spirit. Encourage them. For those who've fallen, God, would you be their forgiveness? Father, would you take away the guilt and shame of what they did last night, of what they did last week, of what they're even thinking and planning on doing this week. Father, would you convict them and not condemn them and lead them back to the beauty of who's sitting at the table with them. For there's that great promise. I stand at the door and I knock. And I want to come in, Christ says, not to destroy your life, but to have a meal with you to sit with you and let you bask in the presence of your Savior as he enjoys your presence. So God, would we know that today? We praise you and we thank you and we do worship our King Jesus. Amen.